Patri, Serfidi, Spiritu Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tuum diaribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Santa Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc in hora mortis nostrae. Amen. In nomine Patri, Serfidi, Spiritu Sancti. Amen. Brother in Christ, Laudato Jesus Christus, in secula, this is Timothy Flanders of the Meaning of Catholic, Jesus is King. Today we're going to talk about the obligation of rest on Sundays and holy days. This is a very important aspect of the fourth commandment, uh, sorry, the third commandment, um, which is overlooked, unfortunately. And it's a very important aspect of this important aspect of the commandments. Um, Many times we talk about the obligation of Sunday worship, uh, which is very important, but uh, this is an aspect that that is neglected. So talk about that. We're going to talk about the authoritative sources on the topic, the moral theology undergirding that. Um, Before we do that, I want to thank all the patrons of this apostolate. The apostolate is made possible by you. Uh, we are in need of financial contributors and supporters, so please support us. Uh, YouTube, we do not take any revenue from YouTube. This this time right now is for free. There's nothing that gets paid out of YouTube for uh, Meaning of Catholic, and so your support helps us continue to do what we do and helps us expand. So if you would consider, please, donating or becoming a patron, patreon.com slash Meaning of Catholic. So let's talk about the importance of Sunday rest and rest on holy days. So the the mass obligation, everyone goes to mass on Sunday, but the problem is we do not, many of us do not observe the obligation of rest. So we need to break down some of the aspects of this first of all. And the Mosaic law is broken down into three different aspects. There is the divine and natural precepts, there are the ceremonial precepts, and then there are the juridical precepts. These three different types of precepts are the way that the church has understood the binding nature, if you will, of the Mosaic law. So our Lord said, I came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And so our Lord does not destroy what came before, he fulfills it. So when he says fulfilled, that means that the Mosaic Law is an architectural drawing on a piece of paper, and it's the pattern by which the church and Christendom are raised. And so all of these precepts have a parallel in Christendom. So there's the ceremonial precepts. The ceremonial precepts are the liturgical law of the church. That's the way that the church promulgates and officially Uh, uses the legal means to promulgate liturgy. There's the judicial precepts, so they're both in canon law and in civil law. There are judicial precepts, which which are regarding the penalties for different crimes, uh, whether that's excommunication or prison, that type of thing. And then finally, there's the divine and natural law, and that remains completely unchanged regarding the those precepts in the Mosaic Law. So the Mosaic Law, so the Ten Commandments, is an example of the divine and natural law. So those things cannot change because they're div- they're based on God's nature. They're based on logos. They're based on the reality of. I mean, they're all based on logos, but the Ten Commandments in particular are examples of the the 
divine and natural precepts. So what about the obligation to keep the Sabbath holy? Well, that obligation, that precept, that, that commandment is, has two different aspects to it. It has a ceremonial aspect, and it also has a divine and natural aspect. This is coming from uh, St. Alphonsus, who explains this. I'm not sure if he's the first one to make this distinction, but um, this is the, uh, in his moral theology, let me give you the reference here, if I can find it. Uh, okay, so Moral Theology, Volume, volume 2, Bic 4a. Uh, so if you have the Ryan Grant translation, that's page 286. And he makes the distinction here between the the so the uh, keep this the precept is remember that thou keep the holy the Sabbath day and it talks about resting on the Sabbath day. So Saint Alphonsus says the resting or what he says is the the actual date of the Sabbath is a ceremonial precept. Let me let me read this whole quote from Saint Alphonsus. This is St. Alphonsus. Although it is of divine and natural law that some determined time be designated to worship God, nevertheless, the determination of this worship and of the days in which it must be furnished was from the arrangement left to the church by Christ. Then the Pope could discern that the observance of Sunday should endure only for some hours and that some servile work would be lawful. And as a result, this precept, inasmuch as it is an ex exhibition of worship, is indeed divine, but insofar it is a determination of the cult and time, it is ecclesiastical, in other words, ceremonial. So what St. Alphonsus is saying is that the this precept, the third, third commandment, has in its essence is divine and natural, meaning the, the obligation to designate a day for worship of God and rest, that in and of itself is divine and natural. It's always binding. But the church then determines the exact nature of that, whether it's going to last longer or shorter, or whether it be transferred from the Sabbath to the Lord's Day. And the Sabbath is actually the seventh day. The Sabbath is Saturday. So when you when the commandment says, keep the Sabbath, it is referring actually to Saturday in, in the context of the Mosaic Law. But in the apostolic era, there's a transfer of the Sabbath to the Lord's Day. And we see this already in the New Testament. In the book of Revelation, St. John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And so there's already a keeping of the Lord's Day as the new Sabbath. So the church then arranges that, and that, that then goes into the arrangement of holy days, because the church obviously arranges certain days to be holy days and not others, and it has changed this over years. So we see the same thing, because holy days are kept, the same obligation for obligation of divine worship, the same obligation of rest also applies to all holy days of obligation as well. So all the holy days of obligation of this year, of any year that are currently in force, also retain the same precept of resting. So the church determines the ceremonial aspect, the, the day on which it will be celebrated and the duration and, and if we're going to allow certain servile work and whatnot. But in and of itself, the precept itself of the third commandment is is divine and natural, so that it cannot be abrogated. It's absolutely, it must be the case. So, St. Thomas explains the, so Secundus Secundi, uh, question 122, article 4, answer to objection number 3. 
He says, man abstains from other works on the Sabbath day in order that he may occupy himself with works connected with God's service. In particular, this is spiritual refreshment by which man's mind is refreshed in God. So obviously the worship of God is, is the primary refreshment. The primary rest is resting in God spiritually. Um, but there's also a precept to abstain from servile work. St. Thomas defines this as work works which are whereby one serves another. St. Alphonsus defines it as work that is done by the body and ordered immediately to the advantage of the body, and thus more advantageous to the body than to the powers of the soul. This is all quoting from those same places that I, I discussed in both St. Thomas and St. Alphonsus. And Prumer then elaborates this for the modern context. So his his manual of moral theology is the, it's the final version, I think it's 1950s. And this is one of the problems that I'm going to address here if I, if I can. So the, yeah, the last edition is 1957. So this is in the context of 1957. He makes a distinction between, uh, this is Prumer number 196 in the manual. The, I'm sorry, the handbook, not the manual, that's a three-volume set. The handbook of moral theology, this is what I'm quoting from. He makes a distinction between four different types of work. He calls, he says, one is servile, which is what we just talked about. The other is cultural, ordinary, and then judicial commercial. Okay, so servile is, the, as we discussed, so that's like manual labor, things that you have to do, manual labor for your daily bread cultivation of the fields and whatnot. Then there's ordinary. Ordinary work is that which is necessary for daily maintenance, like cooking. You have to cook to eat food. So that's just ordinary work. Uh, Then judicial and commercial regards public trading, such as sitting in court, defending criminals, buying, selling, etc. So commercial work. And then there is cultural work. Cultural work is chiefly that of the mental faculties developing the mind, such as reading, writing, and prayer. So, then Prumer then applies these distinctions in his modern context to, he's applying the third commandment to the modern context of the economy. And he then concludes that servile, judicial, and commercial work are all forbidden on Sunday but not ordinary work and cultural work because you have to do ordinary work just to clean up your food or cook food. And then cultural work, even if profit is involved, he says, is permittable on Sundays because it is lifting the mind and heart to what is greater. So this, this may include painting a painting, writing a book, reading a book, um, various things like that, cultural work, which is more intellectual in nature. Um, but it's also obviously a day for utropelia, for right recreation, for resting, uh, having fun with your family, your kids, that sort of thing. But he is making distinction that judicial and commercial work are forbidden. Now, he does say that judicial, uh, some buying and selling is allowed and certainly relax at this time. Um, and even in his day in 1957. And so the certain amount of buying is selling, you know, like you're, you're going to buy the Knights of Columbus fundraiser after church, that type of thing. You know, you're going to contribute or buy things. So it's like buying and selling in and of itself can be allowed for various causes. 
also the obligation of rest can be dispensed by the church for grave necessity for the poor. You know, you have to work on Sunday, otherwise you'll lose your job. That's something that's dispensable. Or if there's a great custom, there's a great custom in your city or town or village to have a great festival of the, you know, third, third, uh, you know, a great festival of Trinity Sunday, for example. You have a great festival in your village for, for Trinity Sunday. You've been doing it for generations. And at this festival, you buy and sell food. So that would be an example of a custom, which is longstanding, which the church dispenses of the precept to not buy and sell because it's by custom. So the church, if you read the section in St. Alphonsus, over and over and over, he just says, except by custom, except by custom. He keeps on talking about all these different aspects of the precept, but then he's always deferent, uh, deferring to, to custom. So if there is customs in local places that involve buying and selling on a given Sunday or holy day, so often tied to that holy day, those are always allowable as long as sin is obviously not being profited, but in and of itself profiting. But in our modern context, so that you, if you read the old missal, so this is in the Angelus Missal. If you have the Angelus Missal, the one um, Baronius Press also publishes the same missal. Um, I don't remember the name of it, uh, but it's the Angelus Missal, 1962, the Latin Mass. And then the Father Lassance Missal has the same thing. And if you look that up regarding the third commandment for the examination of conscience for confession, it actually says, did I buy or sell without necessity? So this is something that we should actually be examining our consciences. Did we buy or sell without necessity on Sunday? Now, this is the gap in moral theology that I see in that there has not been strong resistance by the church to the economic activity on Sundays. And also Catholics have been lax, even traditional so-called Orthodox Catholics, I think have been lax on this particular precept because the economy has generated and surrounded Sunday so that the economy is still going full force on Sunday. So everybody's buying and selling without any qualm of any conscience or anything. No problem on Sunday. There's no issue with that. So it would seem, based on these 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 uh, all of these pr- principles, it would seem that. Now, let me be clear. This is me talking. This is not the church talking. This is not any authority talking. But this is me making a conclusion based on these authoritative sources, because there has not, to my knowledge, been a strong authoritative source speaking on this matter. Um, for our modern context, as we are 50 years after Primer. Um, but it would appear that Catholic families do sin if they are buying and selling on Sunday without necessity. And without, when we talk about necessity, we're talking about custom. We're talking about, you know, medical issues. You got to buy and sell on, you know, your medicine or, or serious food issues or something like that. Like serious necessities, obviously that's fine. But when you're just going out to the restaurant because you're having fun or you're, going to the grocery store, you could you could have done that on Saturday or you could do it on Monday. It's totally indifferent. You're just going to go because you want to and it's easy. That would be, in my opinion, an area of sin because based on all these principles, based on the confession manuals from these 1940s and 50s, it would appear that we are sinning in that, in that area. Um, so that is, like I said, my opinion. 
let's distinguish my opinion from these authoritative sources. So I'm trying to apply these principles to today. And so that's a debatable point. I don't know if you'd agree or not. You can comment below. Um, certainly, if you know of any authoritative voices who are speaking on this particular subject, please share them. Um, but I want to talk quickly then, as we have about 15 more minutes left, um, about some of the history about how we got to this point. Because when in the beginning, when the church came to be in the Roman Empire, and, and you, if you get my book, This Fall from Tan, I talk a lot about the economic factors. And at the time of our Lord and the church, you know, a great deal, we don't, re we don't really know, but, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 percent of the church were slaves. There were many slaves who became Christians. And so a, a great number of slaves were Christians. And the slaves were worked every single day of the week, seven days a week. You're going to lose profit as a master if you, if, you let your work, if you let your slave rest on Sundays. And one of the first things that the church did as the church took over society is that it imposed the Sunday rest. So if you read the Codex Theodosius um, in the 400s, also the Codex Justinianus in the 500s, there are obligations to cease all business on Sunday. So there's no economic activity on Sundays. The slaves are not forced to work on Sundays. And this eventually gets expanded as well as the church develops into all holy days as well. And so the, the Sundays are not only stopping business, but this is also happening on um, all holy days. So this is a quote from E. Cahill, The Framework of a Christian State, page 401. He says this, quote, when the social and economic life was organized after Christian ideas, there was besides Sunday an average of more than one holy day of obligation every week. So in the first Christendom, what we call first Christendom in my book, which is some say the Middle Ages, but that's a pejorative term which should be rejected. First Christendom, which is the era in Western Europe, especially from the year 1000 to the year 1300 approximately, so there's Sunday rest, and then there's an average of more than one other day of rest per week. So you have more than a weekend. So it's 2.5 days per week, something like that, based on these averages. So the, the medieval peasant actually working less than the modern man is. Um, and that's because of this precept. Now, when the Protestants her Protestant heretics take over, there's a strong economic aspect to that. They seize the lands of the poor. They force, they abolish holy days. They abolish so many of the cults of the saints. And so they are actually forcing the worker to work more than he ever did before. This is already starting under Henry VIII in the 1500s. And then with the French Revolution, they try to go even further and try to force the workers to work nine day they tried to have a, a nine day work week with one day as a rest so you'd work nine straight days and then one rest day fortunately the french revolution that never caught on um but lamentably at the same time as that was happening there was the first industrial revolution so that's first industrial revolution is roughly 1760 to 1840 so during this time there is a great deal of factory work and technology, and people are moving to the cities, whether willfully or not. Um, now, 
during all this time, the church had had condemned and tried to eliminate slavery, but many of the church's sons had disobeyed this and taken slaves anyways. So the church had not been able to eradicate slavery, but they could they were able to stop the slaves from working on Sundays and holy days. So they actually the slaves, so like in New Orleans, so in the year 1800, before New Orleans was part of the United States, in the year 1800, a slave in New Orleans was working less days per week because he was Catholic than the factory worker in the United States. So these factory workers were being worked more and more and more, even to the point of working on Sundays, whereas the slave in New Orleans didn't even have to work on Sundays or holy days. And so this is the type of economic situation that the church was then dealing with. So there's two important French events during this time period. And at this time, France is being resurrected from the dead because France had not only rebelled against the cult of Trent for centuries, but also the French Revolution, ultimately, had God had punished France for all of its decadence with the French Revolution. And then France finally repented and rose from the dead. And there was a, there's a great revival in 19th century France. And it's led by St. John Vianney, among others. And St. John Vianney is comes to the town of R, and he his anonymous biography says this, quote, servile work of every kind was done on Sunday, and at harvest time the carts and wagons were in use during the entire day, carting souls to hell, as Father Vianney not, in, not inaptly expressed it. Again, quoting from the biography, one Sunday in July there was a full harvest, the wheat bending to the earth. During the high mass, a violent wind arose, threatening the clouds, and clouds gathered. A destructive tempest was apparently about to break. The holy priest entered the pulpit forbade his people to touch their crops that day and promised them a continuation of good weather sufficient for the gathering in of the harvest. His prediction was verified. The storm passed over. No rain fell for 12 days. As a result of his efforts, the spirit of religion was revived, public worship restored, the Lord's Day unusually respected and observed. So this is St. John Vianney railing against the not only the obligation of Sunday Mass, but Sunday rest. And here's what, and then in 1846, Our Lady of La Salette. And she says this, Our Lady of La Salette comes in 1846, threatening the wrath of God. Notice what she says, quote, If my people will not submit, I shall be forced to let the fall the arm of my son. It is so strong, so heavy, that I cannot longer withhold it. Six days I have given you to labor, the seventh I have kept for myself, and they will not give it to me. It is this which makes the arm of my son so heavy. Those who drive the carts cannot swear without inducing the name of my son. These are the two things which make the arm of my son so heavy. I gave you warning last year with the potatoes, but you did not heed it. So this is referring to the potato famine. So this is a massive famine that's afflicting Ireland and a great deal of Europe. And Our Lady is warning the wrath of God because of blasphemy, the second commandment, and working on Sundays, the third commandment. I gave you warning, do not adhere to it. On the contrary, when you found the potatoes spoiled, you swore you took the name of my son in vain. There are none who go to Mass except a few aged women. Women, the rest work on Sunday all summer. Then in the winter, when they know not what to do, they go to Mass only to mock at religion. So you can see that Our Lady of Salette is calling to, mock, calling to the 
faithful that there is the obligation to go to mass and the obligation to to rest and they're violating it and the potato famine is the wrath of god and some say that the wrath of god fell on France a lot less because of the efforts of St. John Vianney promoting these devotions and the repentance and resurrection of France. Uh, lamentably, this is also the time period when Ireland was falling, unfortunately. This is really the fall of Ireland in the 19th century, according to E. Cahill. He's an he's a excellent Irish Jesuit. He says there was the 19th century that Ireland really lost the faith, and they lost it by, by economic oppression and the re-education camps, which are falsely called public education. And that's how the Irish lost their language. They lost their language, and which ultimately made them lose the faith. And that this is the 19th century. This is, unfortunately, the downfall of Ireland, lamentably, a very sad time period for Ireland, um, even though it has many hopes and dreams. Many, many strides, many good things were happening in Ireland as well. But ultimately, this is the beginning of, of a great decline uh, in Irish history, lamentably. Um, so what happens in reaction to all of this economic activity on Sunday? Not only do the Catholics repent, especially in France, but Catholics even and Protestants form political coalitions to try to force businesses to observe Sunday rest. So the there is so there's the thing called the Lord's Day Alliance in North America. There's the Lord's Day Observation Society in the British Isles. There's uh, the French-Canadian Lingue du Dimanche in Canada, um, and they were f- trying to force these businesses to, impo- to stop working on Sunday, and this is what became known as the Blue Laws. The Blue Laws were laws that got on the books in various countries which forbade businesses from forcing their workers to work on Sundays. And... 1891, then we have Rerum Novarum. Leo XIII says this, The working man, too, has interests in which he should be protected by the state. And first of all, there are the interests of his soul, for this follows the obligation of the cessation from work and labor on Sunday and certain holy days. The rest from labor is not to be understood as mere giving way to idleness, much less must it be an occasion for spending money and for vicious indulgence, as many would have it to be. But it should be rest from labor, Hallowed by religion, rest combined with religious observances disposes a man to forget for a while the business of his everyday life, to turn his thoughts to things heavenly, and to the worship which he so strictly owes to the eternal Godhead. It is this, above all, which the re- which is the reason uh, reason for the motive of Sunday rest, a rest sanctioned by God's great law of the ancient covenant. Remember, thou keep the holy seventh day. Uh, he rested on the seventh day to make it holy. If we turn not to things external and material, the first of all is to secure, it's still quoting from Leo XIII here, is to secure, is to save unfortunate working people from the cruelty of men of greed who use human beings as mere instruments for money making. It is neither just nor human so to grind men down with excessive labor as to stupefy their minds and wear out their bodies. Man's powers, like his general nature, are limited. Beyond these limits, he cannot go. His strength is developed increased by use and exercise, but only on condition of due intermission and proper rest. So, this same thing is continued and repeated again and again by all the popes up to the modern era. Here's Pius XI. This is quoting from uh, 
Quadragesimo anno, 1931. He says, the, uh, the root and font of this defection in economic and social life and the Christian law and the consequent apostasy of great numbers of workers from the Catholic faith are the, the disordered passions of the soul, the sad result of original sin, which is so destroy the wonderful harmony, uh, unquenchable thirst of riches. And so then he's saying, moving on, he creates obstacles. This creates obstacles for the family bond in normal human life. When we remember how many obstacles are put in the way of the proper observance of Sunday and holy days. When we reflect upon the universal weakening that the truly Christian sense through which every rude and unlettered man was wont to value higher things. So he, he condemns the same thing. Uh, Divini Rendum Tories, he condemns communism, making reference to the fact that liberal economics paved the way for communism. Uh, Quote, if we, would accept, if we would explain the blind acceptance of communism by so many thousands of workmen, we must remember that the way had already been prepared for it by the religious and moral destitution in which wage earners had been left by liberal economics. This is a key point. Pius XI is making the connection between liberal economics and communism. When he says liberal economics, he's talking about Adam Smith. He's talking about the Industrial Revolution before communism even existed. Even on Sunday and Holy Days, labor shifts were given no time to attend their essential religious duties, Pius XI says. So this is Divini Rem Dominatoris, 1937. St. John Paul II says the same thing, Centesimus Anus. Until quite recently, it was easily in is easier in traditionally Christian countries to keep Sunday holy because it was almost universal practice and because, even in the organization of civil society, Sunday rest was considered a fixed part of the work schedule. So he's saying, he's repeating the exact same thing. Uh, as these other popes have done. Now, we only have about five more minutes, so I want to talk about this. So the idea is that we need to recover the Sunday rest. This is a very, very key point of Christianizing our families, our societies, is resting on Sundays. As I said before, in my opinion, this includes buying and selling most things on Sunday. You don't need to go out to the grocery store. You don't need to go to the restaurants because what this does is it creates an economic incentive for these workers to be worked on Sundays. When you go to the restaurant, the waitress is working on Sunday because you're buying what they're selling on Sunday. Why should you, why should you encourage people having to break the third commandment? Now, they, they may be obliged to do that, so they may be completely not culpable for that, but why are we going out and buying and selling on the third command on the Sunday? So I want to get to a few questions because, like I said, the, the actual application of this to our modern period does not appear to have been authoritatively answered. So, again, this is just my opinion. Don't take it for any authority. I'm just trying to apply these, apply these principles to the modern context. So Adam says this, what if you own a small business or are involved in seasonal work? Are you committed to work on Sunday? Uh, basically, as in the case of law enforcement or doctors, some professions require you to work on Sunday for the common good. So that, that would not oblige you because criminals are still committing crimes. People are still getting sick on Sunday. So that doesn't, uh, you know, that doesn't change your obligation there. Um, in regards to something lesser for the common good, in terms of a like a seasonal work, small business is a great example. Some towns or villages are very seasonal. They work on tourism, and so most of your business is made 
five months out of the year or six months out of the year or whatnot. So if you cut out Sundays, that would be a massive chunk out of your business. So, and that could threaten your livelihood. So it's a very good question. And I, I don't have an answer to you. I can simply say this, these are the principles. And if there's ever a situation where we have these principles and we don't know what to do, the best course of action as a layperson is to find a knowledgeable priest and tell him your situation and tell him what, ask him what should I do, and then obey whatever he says and trust that God is speaking through him. St. Alphonsus says that to obey your confessor, even in the things which are doubtful, that you're not actually sure, even if your confessor were to give you a command and you were kind of 50-50 about whether or not that was sinful, you don't even, even know if that's correct, but you're kind of 50-50, you should just obey it because St. Alphonsus says, our Lord says, he who hears you, the apostles, hears me. Um, now, this is, side note, this is different if you're in a situation where the, the confessor commands something that's actually sinful, that you know is sinful, then you disobey. Or if it's something that's very, very likely to be sinful, you know, something quite clear, you're not 100%, but that would be a situation where you might want to try a different authority or something. But that's a side note. But what you really need to do is... So, Adam, I would recommend as a layperson to a layperson, just talk to a very knowledgeable priest and just tell him your situation, ask for his permission to work. You know, if that's something that he would uh, give you sort of permission or dispense in that sense, um, this is a serious problem. And many people, many people are dealing with it, and it's not, and I think it's something that can be reasonably dispensed of for many, many people. But I think there's a lot more people where it couldn't be dispensed of. And people are just buying and selling without any problem on Sundays. And so um, this is something, in my opinion, which, which we need to get back to. So um, that is essentially, that's the, the gist of the obligation of rest on Sundays and Holy Days, according to the moral teaching of the church. And we've lost this so that we're now to a point where all of the rest days are like if you work at a, a an office like I do that's my day job is working at an office your days off are either your paid time off if you have paid time off or they are things like Memorial Day things like the 4th of July now we patriotism is a virtue and I love my country but those are all secular almost uh, almost all of them are secular in some way and they ultimately do not sanctify the time. So we need to get back to, and this, this may require radical economic transformation. We need to build cities. We need to build Catholic cities. We need to go out and start building a city with our family or many families, building those cities so that we can observe Sundays and holy days as days of rest, so that our children can, can grow up observing those rest days. The rhythm of our lives will be completely changed when we can rest on these Sundays and Holy Days. Here's a great practice as well. When you, if you are, if you do work at an office like my, or, or various days where you, you do to get days off, one thing you can do is you can schedule your, your, your time off for all the days of obligation, the Holy Days of obligation. So you just take, take off in, you know, the Immaculate Conception, take off that day off of work. You know, you can schedule it right now. Some like we can do it at my work. I can schedule that right now so I can have December 8th off of 
my calendar for I don't have to work that day at, at all. And I can go to mass and we can rest and we can have family time and all that. So starting right now as much as you can doing that and then finding ways as Christian families and communities to observe those days and those resting days. And I think that will be a massive transformation for our, uh, our lives. Um, I actually want to read from Brandon McGinley, if I can find this quote. He has this, um, oh, here it is, page 60. So this is Brandon McGinley, um, the prodigal church. He says this, The fact is that we no longer live in a sabbatical culture, a culture where rest is valued and genuine leisure protected. The repeal of Sunday commerce prohibitions, the so-called blue laws, will be remembered as one of the most important milestones in secularization. It's a scandal how quickly the church acquiesced to treating Sunday as nothing more than mass day, and in doing so, she contributed to the decline of masculine as well. A recent economics paper demonstrated a clear link between the repeal of blue laws and decreased church attendance. When there are more options for business or entertainment on the table, Jesus Christ starts to look less appealing. So this is such an important point that uh, McGinley makes. And this is something that I, I urge you viewers to consider, pray about, talk to your wife about, talk to your spouse about. Consider ways that you can re-Christianize your, your, work, your work week, your time. And it, it, like I said, it may, it may require massive economic transformation. But in my view, I think that the economic situation that we're in is very anti-Catholic to a large degree. So that's all we have. Um, once again, please support us. Part of, this, what, part of what we want to do to expand Meaning of Catholic is to create to work on building that economic and political unity among Catholics. So we're trying to unite Catholics against enemies of the Holy Church, chiefly on a spiritual level, but also a doctrinal level, a moral level, but also economically and politically. And so this is an example of a very important aspects of this that we would love to expand, but that really depends on your support. And if it is God's will, then he will provide all the funds but we would love to expand this so that this is something that we could do full time. Like I said, I, I work in an office. So um, if you believe in this mission in, in trying to build and rebuild the Catholic city, the Catholic, this Christendom on, on these fundamental levels so that Jesus Christ is king in all through society. If this is something that you believe in, if you think that this is possible is doing that work, if you want to join in on this work, please support us. Patreon.com slash meaning of Catholic. So, that is all that we have today. Uh, so thanks so much for watching. Let's offer up a pater noster for this intention, that we may all learn as families to observe the Sabbath, to observe the rest on Sundays and Holy Days. In nomine Patris et Fidei Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Pater noster quies in cedis, sancti vicetum nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sigut in cello et in terra. Panem nostrum quotidianum dan vistodia et dimite nobis debita nostra, sigut de nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris. Et tenenus in ducas, in tentationem, sedibera nos amalo. Amen. In nomine Patris et Fidi et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Jesus is King.